0: Fantastic for those in the room. Good morning. If you're first time here, a special good morning. Uh, We're really glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. And as Brock said, the connect cards in front of you are fantastic for letting us know that you're here for the first time so we can keep in touch. If you've got prayer requests, good news stories, um, they're a great thing to do. And you can put them in the offering bucket uh, a little later in the service when they get passed around. One month left of winter. Who's excited for the countdown? I mean, it's also one month to my birthday. <laughs> Not that anybody's counting. Twenty-one again. Twenty-one for the third time. I've been twenty-two a few times. Twenty. Uh, my name's Brad. I'm the senior pastor here. Sorry about that. Um, we're in a series in the Gospel of John, and we're looking at John three this morning. And so, if you've got your Bibles with you and you want to follow along. Uh, feel free, but otherwise it'll be up on the screen behind me as well, and we're going to be looking at uh, John 3, 16 through to 21 in a moment. But last week we looked at the first section of John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus and Jesus, the conversation that they had around um, being born again. Um, We looked at the three different sort of pictures that Jesus and John both uh, set up for us in that um, around the darkness, you know, Nicodemus coming at darkness, and we're going to see that sort of elaborated on a little bit in this passage, again, uh, the new birth or the born-again nature, and we talked about that, and then the snakes, and we're going to mention that again this morning as well, and um, if you missed all that, I'm sorry, I'm not going to preach it again, Um, you can go and check it online, Um, I'm sure it's there somewhere, if you hunt for it. You might notice there's a few things missing from the office coming out, podcast, little tidbits here and there, um, and we apologise for that while we are in between Staff members in the office, but if you need to find something, the best place is our obviously our church center app. But if you want to catch up, you can find the Sal Baptist Church YouTube channel. That's the easiest place. It's straight after this morning service, it's there and you can watch it again. If you're like, oh, I need to see that again. And you know, sometimes there's a, a good movie and you need to just watch it again and again. Sometimes that's normally what I do when I get home is I go back and watch myself again and cringe. <laughs> Think. Sorry, I had to bear, bear through that again. Anyway, so let's go. John three sixteen twenty one. 16, uh, For God loved the world in this way. I'm reading from the CSB, and that's a slightly different translation than maybe we were brought up with, but this translation, uh, that first line especially, is really uh, helpful. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. So that his deeds may not be exposed, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, and we thank you that uh, you want to teach us your truth, you want to love on us, you want to encourage us, you want to challenge us, and God, we pray that you would help us to be receptive to your spirit this morning. We pray that the things that are distracting us, the things that... Um, our own agendas would be laid aside for the sake of your agenda this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to have soft hearts, humble hearts, surrendered hearts for your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you were growing up, I know this wasn't always the case for me, but did you have like... um, and you grew up with two parents in your household and you had, a like, a good cop, bad cop situation with your parents and you knew, maybe not good cop, bad cop, but you knew which parent to go to for certain things. Like, if I want more food, go to Dad, because he's always just like, yeah, whatever you want, you go and eat it. Mum was pretty good like that too. Or if you want to uh, go to a friend's house, like, oh, and you knew what sort of day Mum or Dad were having, you knew which one to go to, which one to not go to. Um, I'm already... And, and maybe... It wasn't even just which one to go to, but I didn't get the answer I wanted from that one, so I'm going to try my luck on the other one um, and just assume that they haven't communicated uh, what they just told me. Uh, no, you can't have a, a second bag of lollies. I'm just going to try it anyway, um, and I might get the answer I want. I've noticed that a little bit with my kids already, is that they'll come to Alan or I with a certain proposition. We'll go, no, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Straight away, before we can go and say, I've already said no, they're down the other end of the house saying, Mum, Dad said, Dad said, maybe, like just sort of made, elaborate a little bit on the truth. Um, and um, they, they try their luck and maybe I'm just reaping what I've sown in my past. Um, and now this is just God's way of saying, huh, Here you go. Um, but I think sometimes our view of God is a little bit like this is that we have the view of Father God as sort of like a bit of an angry dad situation, and Jesus is the nice, kind uh, saviour who sort of just like steps in the way of the angry God and just like, don't worry, come here, come here, come here, I'll, I'll look after you. Um, don't worry about him. Um, and, and sometimes this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, like um, we can sort of put Jesus in, in between us and, and the Father as a way of like, he's just shielding us from how God really feels towards us. And what I want us to see this morning is that uh, God the Father is not short-tempered. He's not an angry God, and I'm sure you've heard that before. And, and Jesus is not sort of like a loving God who doesn't get angry. And we've seen that already in John's Gospel, haven't we? He's, we've seen in John chapter 2, Jesus was Angry when he walked into the temple, and he's slipping tables over and he's confronting uh, the Pharisees with what what God's house should be set up for. Uh, I want us to think a little bit about this verse in particular in the middle here. In verse 18, it says, Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Sometimes when we come to John 3:16, we just focus on the love of God. And we think, or at least maybe sometimes I think, that the condemnation that we, we see from God is like the opposite of love. It's like God is loving sometimes. In some verses, he's loving. In other times, he's just like an angry, wrathful, condemning God. But John puts these two ideas like side by side. as like God is both a God of love and a God of condemnation at the same time. And they're, it's like two sides of the same coin, And it's actually his condemnation or his wrath that is driven by his love. It's a holy love and a holy condemnation or holy wrath. And the problem that we have is that when we think of love and when we think of wrath or condemnation or whatever word you want to put there, we think of our own love and our own condemnation, our own wrath. And what happens when we get angry? Well, um, our anger is sometimes from a place of selfishness, probably 99% of the time, it's from a place of like, this happened to me, so I'm responding in anger. I'm responding in wrath. My response is how this has affected me, how this has changed me, how this has uh, hurt me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, that's not the way God is angry with us. It's not like our actions have caused him to hurt his feelings. Um, but rather, he has a holy condemnation or a holy wrath Um, John 3, verse 36, at the end of this chapter, and we'll get to this next week, but it echoes this idea, the the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. So love and wrath go together in God's word. God isn't all love, and he isn't all wrath. He is a God of love and wrath, but not in the way we think. Uh, So I want to look this morning a little bit about what is God's condemnation, uh, why does it exist and what does it show us about God's love? So like I said, when we get angry, it's all, it just about always ends in um, shame or embarrassment. Because when we get angry, we are full of thinking about ourselves, how this action, how this word, how it affects me, and then we might lash out. We might respond, speak harshly, act harshly, but then inevitably we regret our angry words or actions, and and, sort of, and sometimes we even say, oh, that wasn't me. That's not how I really feel. That's not, um, and have you had someone say that to you before? Like, oh, that wasn't really me. I'm sorry about that. Or maybe you, you said that about yourself as well. That wasn't really me. I'm sorry about that. But how we view God's wrath and condemnation is fundamentally important to how we relate to God. Because if we think that God's condemnation or wrath towards us is like our own, then we're going to be... Every time we mess up or fall short or reminded of our sinfulness, it's not going to drive us towards that sort of God, is it? It's going to drive us away. We're going to think, I've got to protect myself here. I don't want to be punished. I don't want to have uh, an angry God angry with me. So sometimes our view of God is one that's always angry, or sometimes uh, our, God, our view of God is a God that is only love and doesn't have any condemnation about him, doesn't have any wrath about him. He's just a loving God. And whichever side of the fence we might lean towards, these views can distort uh, the way God really is, the reality of God, and cause us to miss who he is and therefore miss who we are. Because when our view of God is distorted, we have a distorted view of ourselves. I want to show us that God's wrath is always a demonstration of his love. Our wrath is rarely, if ever, a demonstration of love towards the other, but rather ourselves, or perhaps on behalf of somebody else. In this passage, after Jesus and Nicodemus talk, remember we talked a bit about this last week, John sort of records the conversation and then he gives us a bit of a commentary. And you can see that this commentary is written in like after Jesus has died and rose again. The way it's written is, is obvious that it's post resurrection. And, and, and that's because it was written post-resurrection, and the commentary is supposed to help us see back. The way Jesus was talking to Nicodemus here shows us this part of the, the love that Jesus has and has demonstrated on the cross. So um, after Nic- Jesus and Nicodemus' talk, John gives us the commentary on God's love and condemnation as one thought, not as two different thoughts, not as opposing ideas, but rather as one idea. God's condemnation, his wrath, is a demonstration of his love for truth and standards. I want you to imagine um, maybe a, a local shop here in town has had its store robbed. Someone has come in and just run through and, and taken all their belongings, all their, all their money, um, heaps, of, heaps of stock, heaps of stock, how, now, different people are going to respond in that different ways. The store owner, the shop owner, how's, how's he going to respond? He's going to be pretty upset, I imagine, pretty angry. Um, he's maybe going to have a response of vengeance. Uh, he wants to see the criminal punished, struck down, sentenced harshly like, this is no good. This is, I've, it's taken me years to, to build this up, and now it's all been torn apart. But what about the judge who's sentencing that criminal? How does he feel about what the criminal's done? It's not the same sort of feeling, is it? The emotion is sort of taken... And the, and the judge might even be friends with the criminal. The judge might even know the criminal, might be a family friend or someone who knows them, and they think, oh... Now, But, but in his position of authority and, and, and holding and keeping justice, he has got to... Um, put his, his wrath or his opposition to what the criminal has done, but not from a place of anger or vengeance, but from a completely different place. The judge, however, has a different kind of wrath. It's not so much anger as it is opposition. The judge or the state or whoever the judge is representing is opposed to the criminal, and he has a duty to uphold the law and sometimes the wrath might even be with sadness of what has happened to the thief, what has happened to the criminal. Like, oh, he's ruined his life, but I've got to uphold the law. I've got to keep the stand. Otherwise, what happens? The society falls apart. Things disintegrate. And the criminal is under a ban, under um, locked up until that debt is paid, until that debt is restored for however long that sentence is for. But there isn't a vindictive feeling from the judge, at least, towards the criminal. Like the shop owner. The judge has a love for civilization that can't turn a blind eye to wrongdoing, but sees the standards and has to see the standards upheld in order that the society succeeds and flourishes. This is the way God's wrath is towards our sin. He's not like the store owner who's responding out of emotion and anger, but rather like the judge who is holy in his stands and says, I can't let this slide. I can't, this is a wrongdoing. This sin is is wrong and condemnation is a result. I'm opposed to the sin. I'm opposed to the wrongdoing. God's settled opposition to evil. The same way the government has to oppose a criminal who has broken the law, God's wrath is a condemnation of evil, an opposition to evil that is not fueled by emotion but rather fueled by love and holiness. The judge might say, I hate to see what this guy has done to himself and his family. It's a real shame. And even though I am your friend, I have to uphold the law, otherwise society will fall apart. So I am opposed to you. There is a barrier between us. And this is where we all find ourselves before God, in his opposition, opposed to God in our sin. We have chosen to live our own way, to be our own God. And this is what John is about to describe to us when he talks about this idea of loving darkness. Of, of um, uh, where is it? Sorry, in verses 19, it says, the light has come, people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. This is where we find ourselves. We all want to be our own masters and this is what God is opposed to. And this is the example of what Nicodemus was for John that Nicodemus came in darkness as his own God, as his own ruler. He wanted to be in charge of his own life. And so God, Jesus was saying, I'm opposed to that idea. I'm opposed to that kind of living. I'm not opposed. I'm not necessarily opposed to a whole lot of list of wrongs and sins and what's right and what's wrong, but I'm opposed to anyone who says that they are their own God and won't surrender and submit themselves to me. So God's wrath or his condemnation are not from anger, but rather from upholding standards, a love of truth, and a love of people and of his creation. Or you might think about it this way. Um, what happens when someone you love starts making decisions that are detrimental to their own lives and the lives of uh, those around them? Maybe through some substance abuse or some sort of addiction, some sort of lifestyle choice. Your love for that person can drive you to a fury and a wrath for what that is doing to that person and what it's doing to that person's family and loved ones. You want to shake them. You want to shake them out of that behaviour. Why? Because it's fueled by love. It's fueled by... A, you're, you're becoming less and less yourself. You're, you're, your life is heading towards destruction. You're destroying yourself and those around you. You're becoming less and less yourself all the time. Do you see love and wrath must go together? If, if you saw someone who was doing that and you did nothing, you just watched them and thought, oh, it's their own problem, that would show, at least from God's point of view, that there was no love there, that love didn't exist in that relationship. Love drives that, that wrath towards wrongdoing, that wrath towards destructive living. When you love someone, destruction, that person drives you to a wrath of the behaviour that is bringing about that destruction. And that tells us why it exists, because it exists against sin. This is the judgment, verse 19. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so his deeds may not be exposed. And so the ultimate reason God's condemnation rests on someone is because they choose darkness over the light. They choose to live their own way rather than trust and believe in the Son of God. The sin, like I said, is not necessarily all the individual deeds, but the love of darkness that conceals them. Nicodemus is an example of this sin. He wasn't trusting in Jesus, but rather he was trusting in himself. The sin isn't always something terrible. It doesn't appear that Nicodemus was a terrible person, but still he was in darkness. He wasn't trusting Jesus, but rather he was trusting himself. Sin at its root is opposition to God. It's it's living in a way where you decide what is right and what is wrong. And since consequence is a law that God has set into motion, much like gravity is a law, you can't break the law of gravity. Rather, it will break you if you try. You'll break your your legs, it'll break every part of you. The more you try to break the law of gravity, it'll break you. And this is the same with God's spiritual law of sin and condemnation and his love. You can't sin without the sin breaking you. It's not like a cause and effect type of breaking, like if I lie today, then an apple's going to fall on my head tomorrow. But rather, if I lie today, it's going to cause those around me to trust me less. And so the consequence of that sin of of lying is broken relationships. And you can see that this is the way God has set up our world and our relationships uh, to each other and our relationship with, to him. Because you can get away with your sins, but you can't get away from your sins. And so this wrath is condemnation, what does it show us about God's love? Well, let's go back to verse 16, the, the verse that probably a lot of us have grown up reciting, knowing. Um, maybe those outside of the church would even know this one as well. For God loved the world in this way that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So this verse, these verses, tell us that it was the love of God that drove Him to condemn His own Son, so that the debt could be paid. Notice how it says, "For God loved the world in this way." Some older translations might say, for God so loved the world. And, um, and if you were like me growing up in church, that, uh, that word so was sort of emphasised like, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. It's not, that's not wrong, but that's not necessarily what John was actually saying here. That's why this translation, for God loved the world in this way. And, and in which way did he love the world? Well, John's referring to what's just happened in that story, the conversation of Nicodemus and Jesus. And particularly verses 14 and 15, where Jesus is saying, just as Moses lift up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. This is how he loved the world, that the Son of Man was to be lifted up. The Son of Man was to be put on a cross. Jesus not sent us to shield us from an angry God, but rather demonstrate the love of God to throw himself in the way of the natural consequence of sin and encounter death on the cross. God loved the world in this way. He gave. He didn't send Jesus to condemn, but he sent Jesus to save. That's verse 17. He did not send Jesus, his son, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But the problem that we face today, at least in our culture, is that our culture would happily embrace an all-loving God that had no condemnation or wrath to him. One that doesn't turn... One that just turns a blind eye, one that doesn't have any sort of sets of standards. The world lives for this kind of God. This is the God of our culture. This is the God of our society. An all-loving, standardless God. And all-tolerant, all-accepting. As you are, you can have whatever God, you can have whatever spirituality suits you, that's okay. Whatever works for you. If it's good for you, then that's okay. But this is not our God. This is our culture's God, but this is not our God. If you go back in history, you'll see that the idea of a loving God was a confronting idea. I was... uh, listening to someone talk about, uh, a historian that was talking about uh, in cultures 300 or more years ago, the idea of a loving God was confronting because people were, uh, it was acceptable to have this tribal mentality where you can assert your dominance over, over people and you can take land and you can take slaves and, um, and put your power over other people. And that was the accepted thing, and that was the encouraging, and that was the way to do it. And the idea that a loving God could come in and free slaves or stop that sort of idea was confronting. But now it's the opposite. The idea of a God who would condemn is confronting. The idea of a God who has a set of standards, a certain holiness, is confronting. But he is a God of both love and wrath. And he's a God of wrath because he loves. And so, this is the point that God loves you. This is what John is trying to say. He loves you. Not because of your ability to avoid God's condemnation, but because he sent Jesus to take your condemnation. He loves you when you are in the darkness. Before you've believed in Jesus, he sent his son. Paul writes in different ways all the time, like when you were dead in your sins, he sent Jesus and made you alive in Christ. Like when Paul gets on in his letters and like the wisdom of God, the, the glorious riches of his love, like he can't help himself but just go on, this is incredible, the way God has done this, the way God has loved us. It's incredible. Jesus on the cross fulfills both the wrath and love of God at once. And this is how we know if we understand this or not. And I've mentioned this before, but you understand this when your sin doesn't cause you to hide from God. Your sin doesn't cause you to hide from other Christians or or avoid coming to church. But rather, it drives you towards God, towards the God that loves you. You know this because you grow in your distaste for the sinful, sinful behaviours and actions. And when you discover them in yourself, it leads you towards the one who has none of them present in himself. You see that? But when you grow in your awareness of sin in your own life, when you see something in yourself, when you're confronted uh, of an action, of a behaviour, of a word spoken that is not of God, your your distaste for that grows and you're driven to the one who has none of that in himself. God is not angry with you. He is a perfect holy God who can't stand sin and the death and the destruction that it brings upon his creation. And so he makes it a way to execute his wrath while at the same time demonstrating his love. It's why John writes these stories of people who just don't get it and they should like Nicodemus, like the disciples, the born-again life, the living water in the next chapter, the bread of life, the wine. The love is extraordinary because it's not like human love. Our love is like a shadow of God's love. Maybe we can get the rough shape of it or the rough idea of it, but a shadow doesn't tell you of the rich colour and rich size of the object. Sometimes it's completely out of proportion. And so the problem we have is when we look at our own love and our own wrath, it's not like God's love and God's wrath. You don't need to fear the light. Coming before God as you are is not a scary thing. It's the safest thing you can do. His love is safe. It dispels the darkness and brings about life. John three twenty one. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. The truth is God's love for you in Jesus. He met the standard that you could never meet. So when you come into that light, it's made clear that the accomplishment is God, not yours. And that's why John writes that verse in that way, that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. When you come into the light, it's clear that you have only done that by what Jesus has done on the cross. Your only way of coming into the light, of coming into right relationship with God, is because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's not because you've suddenly made yourself right. We have sinned, we have fallen short, but Jesus reaped our death. Jesus reaped our condemnation. Whereas Jesus was pure, he was sinless, he was perfect, he was holy. He met the standard, and we reap his life. We reap his righteousness. And this is the miracle of salvation. This is the miracle of what John writes about. And the more we unpack it, the more we understand it, the greater God is to us, the greater our passion and love for him is, the more we want to be around him, the more we want to embrace him, the more we want to surrender to him because he's not up there angry with us. He is up there loving us and showing us how much he loves us, demonstrating his love through what Jesus has done on the cross. I want to invite you to stand um, as we go into another song in a moment. You can stand now if you like. And the team's going to come up and we're going to sing this song, For God So Loved. And I want to offer just a moment of of prayer for anyone who feels like they have, maybe for your whole life, you've hidden yourself from God because you have been afraid that he's angry with you, that he's upset with you. And I want to pray this prayer that God so loved you. He loved you in this way that he sent his son to die for you, to take your condemnation so that you could have his life. So maybe just as we close our eyes, Lord God, we take this moment right now and we are just in awe of your love for us. The way in which you sent yourself to come and take our place on the cross, to take our sin. To take the consequence of our wrongdoing on yourself and offer us life and light in return. God, we are humbled and in awe of that love. And Lord God, for, for the times that we have taken it upon ourselves to put ourselves in right standing before you, God, we we uh, we're sorry. And God, we recognize it's only because of your love. It's only because of your goodness. It's only because of your grace that we have the ability to come before you, that we can step out of the darkness into the light. And for God, uh, for the people here this morning that maybe have never stepped into that light, God, I pray that that this message, that your words through, through John's gospel might enable them to step into your life, that your spirit might blow through this place and breathe life, And bring light where there's darkness. Lord God, we are so thankful for the cross and for Jesus and for what He has done for us as a demonstration of Your love towards us. And God, we pray that we will be people that run to You in our failures and in our successes, in our trials, in our victories. You're the God that celebrates with us. You're the God who loves us, who gives us grace. Every moment, in every season, God, we want to run towards you and we want to bring others with us. So, God, would you help us to do that? And would you help us to reflect the love that you have for people well? Would you help us to love people the way you love them, to be sacrificial, to be generous? And to point people towards the cross. Lord God, we thank you for this moment. We pray that you would help us to see how much you love us again afresh. So we could see ourselves in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.